The other thing I love about this example too, it's CVS Health. You want to talk about another industry that's heavily regulated and has rules and investors and everything else that we fight in corporate America, and they still did this? We don't have many rocks to hide behind now there at corporate America. That was That's a shiny example of it can be done, and we have to have the will to find the way. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and today we're going to be reflecting on the impact the supplier diversity has on the economic well-being of companies, both for the supplier and for corporations that they are supplying for. Supplier diversity is crucial to the vitality of a company. It's also important for business owners to understand why their supply chain needs diverse suppliers and is equally as valuable for diverse suppliers to know their worth so that they can market their services effectively to the corporates that they're trying to pursue. So Chloe, what do you say we jump into this one, right? This is a pretty meaty topic for today. I love it. I love tackling these big topics. Love it. Right? It is the best. So you've had the privilege, should I say, of kind of living this life from both sides of the aisle? Yes, yes, yes. So let me let me kind of pitch the first question to you, if you don't mind. Tell us a little bit of uh, some of the tangible ways that you've seen supplier diversity benefit a company's growth and economics on both sides of the house, right? Both for yeah. as a diverse supplier and as a corporate. So I would say, you know, on the corporate side, number one, I think a lot of times they may go to the same providers and using a diverse supplier really allows them to tap into innovation that they might not have been able to have sourced through these traditional means. And I think when you think about just the stagnation and also just repetitiveness of a lot of services that we see in the marketplace and you know, no offense, but I mean, there's a huge opportunity to expand your supplier base to really think about differentiating yourself from your competitors. And also really using diverse suppliers to to really market and understand the changing demographics of your customer base. So as we see just sort of by census data, just the the makeup of our country is changing. And a lot of times when you don't when you don't have a diverse supplier on the corporate side, you know, you may be missing out on a market that otherwise could be very lucrative for your business. Oh. It's so very true. That is so very, very true. You know, I see that as well. You know, it's it is one of those things that um, can be an X factor in your, yes. you know, your competition landscape, right? Where you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, we talk to our diverse suppliers all the time, right? So what differentiates you? What differentiates you? What differentiates you? Yeah. I'm sitting in the financial sector. You want to talk about an area where we're almost commoditized, right? Yes. We have yeah. to find things that can give us that X factor that can yeah. be that difference maker. And I'm telling you, supplier diversity can be that. I have seen it work, not to divulge too much of who I work for. I'm sure pretty much everybody on this show has figured that out. But I will tell you this, supplier diversity was one of the key reasons that our our current merger was able to come to be, right? I mean, supplier diversity was held up as to the Senate of this is why you need to let this merger happen. We have an incredible supplier diversity program and we're going to do even more good because of it. it. 
So, I mean, you never know, right? Supplier diversity yeah. was one of those factors that we held up of like, we do it well and we're going to do it even better and yeah. bigger. And combining and more these two organizations right. makes us exactly. do X in economic development and growth for communities of color and founders. Exactly. So, I mean, you want to talk about a direct impact right. <laughs> to growing a company's bottom line. Yeah. It was a, a prime example of how when you're, you do good and, and you execute at a high level, how, how it can really make an impact, how, how it can really help move a needle, change a conversation. It's, it's incredible. And speaking of when we think about just innovations, you know, innovation can come in many forms. But oh, yeah. you know, when mm-hmm. I think of innovation, a lot of times I think of technology. And mm-hmm. when you look at um, sort of diverse founders and just their ability to get access to capital, sometimes it's challenging as well. It is. So it is. when you partner with some of these diverse suppliers who are innovative and do have the solutions that you're looking for, it gives them an opportunity to get the capital they need to power right. their growth and hire the people that they need that they might not have been able to get through through traditional means like VC mm-hmm. money or through banks. Right. Right. And that's also one of the things you want to look at, because sometimes VC money is not the way to go. Right. Especially if you're a diverse firm and you have to give up a certain amount of control of that firm to get the VC money, Mm -hmm. then you start losing certifications. It really can kind of be of a mess. So it's good. It has its place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you guys not to go, but we have to be careful with it. Right. So you're right. So by using a small and diverse company as a supplier, giving them that now you're starting to build that cash flow for them so they can grow and expand. Right. And we have to realize that. I mean, we have to build that base right for it to work. I often think of it sometimes as like, I don't know how much camping you do. Right. But building a campfire. Right. It has to. Yeah. It has to start out small. Right. And I have to feed it continuously. Right. And if I don't feed it continuously, it's just going to die. But once I get it going and it is going and it is self-sustaining, I can burn almost anything in it I want. Right. Small business is the same way. Right. And we as corporations have to realize that we have to keep feeding that fire. We have to keep feeding them. Right. And if we just step away, if we just kind of throw some fuel on it and step away and not tend it and keep it going and making sure it's doing well, it will die. It will peter out and just be nothing at the end of the day. So I'm not sure which question we were talking about on that one, but I really have a good time talking about this. All of this to say is we have to really be intentional about our use of diverse suppliers, right? And we have to understand how our money as corporates really helps feed the entire system. Absolutely. And and even when we think about the system, it, it also makes me think about the communities, right? So think about the diverse supplier base. You're you're, when you're using diverse suppliers in certain communities, it signals to the community that you care about them and that you're making an effort to bring quality goods and services. And as a result of that, you're creating jobs that are supporting these communities. You're doing so much in terms of just community action that I just don't think people realize. So in creating jobs, you're increasing wages in certain areas, which ultimately leads to more money funneling into certain communities. Exactly. And that's when you start talking about second and third way impacts in economics, right? Yes, I'm paying the supplier, but then the supplier pays their employees. And then the employees use that money in the in the communities in which they live and work and play. And that money being spent in the community then spawns more jobs and more opportunities, right? So we are doing all of this. I mean, you know, CVS actually published some data on this just very recently, right? And, and CVS actually reported uh, in their 2018 diverse spend contributed. Are you guys ready for this? I'm ready. 5.5 billion. That's with a B. Billion to the U.S. economy. B, 5.5 billion. They did that by buying goods and services that CVS Health has to have. Anyway, run their business. 
Yeah. Right. It's not like they sat there and said, hmm, I think out of charity, we're just going to go buy some stuff from diverse (laughs) suppliers because that's the cool thing to do right now. No, no, no. They were running a business. They bought things they needed to run their business and they made a $5.5 billion impact. And that equated to 30, oh, just a little over 31,000 jobs sustained, sustained jobs in a downturned economy during a pandemic. Well, not quite because it was 2018. We were still having a slight bit of a downturn. But the point being, 31,000 jobs were sustained. I love it. And it's, so basically, it's by giving diverse suppliers an opportunity to do what they do. You're essentially just promoting economic growth and, and development across a broad base of people. Right. Right. And and if you want to talk about so and with the other thing I love about this example, too, it's CVS Health. You want to talk about another industry that's heavily regulated and has rules and investors and everything else that we fight in corporate America. And they still did this. We don't have many rocks to hide behind now. There are corporate America. That was that's a shining example of it can be done. And we have to have the will to find the way. I am looking forward to having CVS on in a couple of weeks so they can tell us exactly how that's right. We yes. are. That's going to be very exciting, actually. Yes. So you so guys, corporations yeah. who want to learn right. how they did it Tune and tune in, tune in. Going to be a great conversation. Can't wait. Yes, yes, yes. So when you think about the impact that it has more on the suppliers, I know that you do a lot of mentoring of yeah. small businesses. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about what you've seen, like the immediate sort of impact that it makes on small businesses. It's an unbelievable. And I think that's one of the joys that I have as a, as a mentor is when they have that kind of aha moment, right? As you're working through with, with them. And what it really does is as you and I both know, Chloe, you have to have a certain um, je ne sais quoi when you are talking to a corporate buyer, a representative officer, right? And sometimes small business owners, diverse business owners, they are some of the most scrappy, resourceful, ingenious people I've ever met, but they haven't really had time to stop and go, ooh, how am I being perceived when I'm talking, right? How am I being perceived as, am I being perceived as, oh, isn't that cute? This is a small business owner. Or am I being perceived as, oh, here's somebody that's coming in as a knowledgeable expert who is ready to have this conversation, right? So a lot of times with my mentoring, it is how do I set up the business owner to look like and talk like and think like a company president, right? Right. I often say, and I think you guys have heard me say this on the show, right? CEO does not stand for chief everything officer, (laughs) right? You have to remember where your lane is, Yes. right? And I have had, uh, I'm working with one protege right now that we have had this conversation and she has seen, literally seen the light, right? And now when I'm having conversations, I tell this all the time, when I'm having a conversation with you, now I'm talking to the president of the company, not another employee that happens to have some managerial responsibilities. So like, I am talking to the woman who I know that when I have an issue, this is the person that will handle it, right? Yes. And so I think that's a lot of times in this, the whole aspect of mentoring, right? Not not to beat the whole fire illustration to death, but this is the blowing on the embers, right? This is the yeah. making sure the coals are staying hot. We have to build these businesses up as corporates. If, if us as corporate America want to continue having $5.5 billion level impacts, Right. We have to have we have to have sustainable, diverse suppliers to do business with. Right. And if we want them to have that, we want them to be there. We have to help them prepare to be there, to help them grow, to help them learn. Right. And yes. so mentoring for me is as much corporate responsibility as everything else we talk about. Right. We need to take the resources that we have. Do I know everything about business in my head? No. no. Do I have a firm of 56,000 employees behind me? Yep. 
Yep. And I can reach back into that experience and say, hey, I just need you to spend 30 minutes with this person, right? Yeah. We have a question about this. Would love your insight. Guys and gals, mentoring is not scary. It's no. just having a conversation. It's, it is truly helping each other just work through things. Steel, sharpen steel. And I can't tell you how enriched I am from my mentoring relationships. Right. Such a good perspective. Such a, such a good perspective. I think mentorship is one of those key things. And to your point, mm-hmm. like even as CEOs, you know, I think that as our small businesses think about having these conversations and all the things you mentioned about executive presence, it's, you know, we go back, I think we've talked about this in the past, how important mentorship is, whether it be someone that you're mentoring, that's mentoring you within the organization or you doing it as a give back. I think that's another thing that people don't, often see when you think about just the impact, they think about the economic impact, but then there's also community impacts when you also are using small businesses that people just don't, I think corporations sometimes don't get line of sight of that, the, that these small businesses are doing. I mean, I know almost every small business that we work with have some form of give back, you know, just, I mean, and sometimes it's more elaborate than these larger organizations. Sure. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh yeah. I've heard some of these programs. I'm like, you guys are doing what? what? Yes. I know it's kind of crazy. Right. And, and here's the other thing I want to talk about with, well, first of all, mentoring, go back and listen to our episode with Veronica Maldonado Torres. Yes. That was a great episode. We had a yes. lot of fun on that one. Yeah. But the other thing I want to say is don't be scared. If you see a company like, man, I think I might be able to step in and, and kind of help them. Yeah. Don't be afraid to, to talk to that company. Chloe and I are together and are really good friends because after a pitch, I heard, I said, Hey, how about hey. yes. I kind of step in and we can talk through some things. Right. Yeah. And now. Uh, now, not everybody's going to get a podcast out of those conversations. I'm just going to say <laughs> that. But the small businesses that I know that are going to do well and going to stick around, they want to be mentored. They want to learn, right? They're hungry for that information. And for us, I mean, just to give everyone background is, uh, you know, my background was in risk management and supply chain. And I knew... Yes what was needed, but I had never built a technology platform before. And so, you know, having these initial conversations with you were really helpful to me because this was just when higher ground was, you know, it was basically like a shell. It was an MVP. And so getting y'all's thoughts and feedback early on was so helpful in our development. So helpful. And look where you guys are now, right? I mean, you guys are rocking and rolling. Yeah, we definitely are. I've also made Chloe promise to remember me when she makes it big too. So (laughs) That's now officially on public record. That's on public record. That's on public record. And that'll be next year, by the way. So, yes. Oh, well, I want everybody to really remember this. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) You know, another thing that I can recall Mm -hmm. as, you know, when I was inside of corporate before coming out and, and, you know, joining the other team, the small business side of our marketplace was in reviewing contracts. One of the things when we brought a diverse supplier in, you know, I think that it kept our previous supplier and all our other sort of majority larger firms, it helped keep their prices sort of reasonable, you know, in their hourly rates and flat rates. Because I, I would say, look, this is where we are. This is where your pricing is. And here's where some of the other bids are. So they'd be like, okay, well, you know, and so I think that's oftentimes if we don't give diverse suppliers an opportunity as corporations, we sometimes miss out on that extra margin that, that we otherwise would have been just spending, you know, six figures, sometimes, you know, high six figures for, for some of these services. Yeah. It's it, it. So there's two things on RFPs. I think we need to remember with small business, diverse and small businesses. One, one is you're right. When a traditional or a majority owned firm comes in and they hear that you've brought in a small and diverse business, oftentimes that price of that pencil gets really sharp all of a sudden. Yes, and you're like, Hey, where did you find all that fat in your price? But thank you very much for trimming it. 
Yes. Thank um, you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're signing up for SLAs that they would have never agreed to beforehand. You know, their turnaround times are like within an hour. It's really kind of remarkable what they can do all of a sudden. Right. But the caveat to that is it does work. It's a tactic. We pull that lever all the time. But also that also means, guess what, guys, you have to employ some of these small and diverse businesses. Otherwise, guess what? The majority firms sit there and go, mm-hmm, there you are rattling your saber again. Ooh, you've brought in a diverse supplier. Ah, and their right. prices don't change. Right. Because right. you've conditioned them. Right. So, hmm. so I didn't even think about that aspect. Of yeah, it. exactly. So and guess what's going to happen when you actually hire that small and diverse supplier? You will have actually brung a partner into your platform. Yes. Right. And I mean, not just, and I'm not just saying that because that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you right here and now, if you have not worked with diverse firms, whether they are a $5 million firm or a $500 million firm, there is a different relationship. There just is. I don't know if I can explain it (laughs) on a, on a podcast, right. But there is, you, you just trust me. There's a different relationship. There is a partnership that you, you will be like, where literally you'll be like, where has this been? <laughs> right. And, and that then starts to shape the way that guess what? Your majority firms start working with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they sit there and go, oh, you know, that firm's starting to get a lot more looks than we are. And oh, they're not being jerks about it either. Yes. I guess we don't have to be. Yeah. Right? It, and it truly like can be. Yeah. It looks like they're actually having like a conversation conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It changes. It does. It can change a culture internally inside a firm as well, too. The other thing I want to say about RFPs too is we have to remember if we have invited a small business and a diverse business onto an RFP and they don't win the RFP for one reason or another, and they're not going to win 100% of them, right? We don't invite a small and diverse business to an RFP to just automatically award it to them because they walked in and ta-da, you know, that doesn't happen. Okay. But we then need to take the time. And this is a miss. This is a big miss that I see in corporate America. We don't explain to that small and diverse business what happened. Right. And a lot of times you guys are going to be surprised. Sometimes when you guys invite them to a, an RFP, that's the first time they've ever been invited to a competitive event. Right. So they're like, uh, doing the best I can. Right. And explain to them what happened. Explain to them the process. And everybody's process is different, but explain to them the process. Let them see where they kind of fell short where they didn't meet the mark, right? What can they improve on over the next, whatever long your contract cycle is to be ready for the next one or just for the next competitive event inside your industry that's there, right? There's that mentoring again. We don't stop and think about, you know, it's like, okay, RFP's done onto the next competitive event, onto the next competitive event. And we never circle back around and you don't have to divulge secrets. You don't have to give up preparatory information, just a general conversation of, hey, your pricing was 15 points higher than everybody else, or you just didn't have, we needed somebody that could scale a little faster than you were going to be able to at this point. I think that's so critical. Yeah. And because if we don't let them know where they fell down, they don't know where to pick themselves up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think at the same vein, like as, you know, supplier diversity and procurement professionals, making sure that at least there's some chance that, you know, at least there's some probability, like this is a real effort as opposed to sometimes I see what I've seen internally at organizations is a it's more of mandatory. Like we have to have this good faith effort. We have to have a diverse supplier, but we're really not going to award it to them anyways. We're going to award it to this majority firm, but we're still going to take them through responding that this RFP and really being mindful that these small businesses, that an RFP can be a heavy lift. And to your point, if they've never been invited to one, think about how much time that takes up for them. So making sure that it's a viable opportunity, I think is, and we're not saying, oh, they're going to definitely get it to your point. Right, right, right. right making sure right. that 
it's a real one that they have a real it, shot at. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you. So but and and, and a, a counterpoint to that is if you're going to set them up in an RFP where they probably don't have a really good shot. Yes. Let them know that. Right. Because I had learning. a protege and I said, yeah, I had a protege and I said, look, I'm going to put you in for this RFP. Yeah. You've got like a 0.0001% chance yeah. really of walking away with it. I yeah. was like, but what I want is for you to get evaluated by my leadership team. Right. And I want you to go through the process of an RFP. So then at the end of the day, I have something to evaluate on you when this is all said and done. So sometimes putting somebody through an RFP is a good thing. As long as you set it up, like, look, yeah, it's live. Somebody's going to walk away with a big contract. Probably not you. But it gives you an opportunity to learn. Exactly. It yes. gives them an opportunity. You, you an opportunity. And then you get feedback yes. from your, from an, it's almost like a 360 degree review. And that can be very profitable. Yes. Right. But if you go in and set it up that way, then everybody knows what to expect. It's like, okay, I get it. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I hate to draw a parallel to this, but it's like taking the SAT, right? Sometimes in these systems and doing the, doing these RFPs, if they're time stamped and all this stuff, like it's better to, to have taken it once, you know, like the SAT, you're going to perform better if you've seen the, the yes. system, like just exactly. the simple things around yep. that. I think sometimes people miss, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. And, so, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great point. Sometimes if your first one, you know, it's just a practice run, takes the pressure off. But then when you're ready for the next real one, you're like, oh, oh, I know what to expect. I'm familiar with this. I know how long the questions need to be. My responses are going to be. So I think that that is a learning experience too. So it is. And it's a hard one to duplicate outside of it being an actual honest to goodness competitive event. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really hard to duplicate. It really is. So that's why you have to be open to those. You have to be. Yeah. 100%. 100%. But you know, one of the things that I always talk about when I'm mentoring businesses is reaching back. Right. And I think we've talked about that a little bit, but I would love to hear from you, Chloe, as a small woman owned uh, business. And I am just knocking my microphone all over the place. Sorry about that, everybody. Talk to us about some of the responsibilities. We talk about corporates and working with diverse suppliers. But what about diverse suppliers working with <gasps> diverse suppliers? Yeah. I mean, I just think that that's just an amazing thing because if you can somehow build your capacity with someone who has either, number one, already worked with this corporation or already worked with a similar corporation, it helps speed up your learning, number one, around how to work with the business. It also allows you to take on maybe more that you couldn't take on by yourself and in your organization because it helps you, again, build this capacity. I think it also helps you with just preparing you um, for working with other large organizations that are looking for diverse suppliers. So when you think about these large opportunities per se, and then they're like, well, there's no diverse suppliers in this space through a JV, you could be the lead on that and they could support you. So there's a lot of different ways that I think small businesses need to think about, you know, this is not necessarily a competitor. I think we oftentimes, oh, they do exactly what I do. They're a competitor. No, they could potentially be a partner of yours so that you could scale up overnight and now be able to actually provide the services that a, an organization, a global organization would need. I, I completely agree. You know, and I just had a conversation about that this afternoon in, in a meeting, right? I was working with uh, one of my non-diverse labor firms, right? And they're like, yeah, so we, you know, we do this, that, and the other thing. I said, have you ever thought about some of these other diverse labor firms that can't do that X, Y, and Z that you just talked about and working with them so they can go start bidding on that? They win the business, but you guys provide the bodies and you have this, you, you know, you call it a JV or joint venture, right? We call it, we call it strategic relationships. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One okay. of the same, um, <laughs> right? Exactly. I like the way that and, sounds and, better though. Right. So, yes. Strategic relationship. Yes. Um, 
I put my radio voice on when I say that. It's a great way for diverse and non-diverse firms to team up, like you said, right? And, and everybody walks away with a benefit. The diverse supplier, to your point, walks away with the ability to scale up overnight, which is tremendous, right? You also walk away with the knowledge that the other firm brings to the table. And then the non-diverse firm is able to help get into a company that maybe they weren't able to enter before because they were looking for a diverse supplier, right? Exactly. Like now you have a different entry point Mm -hmm. that helps really differentiate you. When I I even think about like what I was doing before, when we think about insurance brokerage and how did we differentiate ourselves from all the competitors in the marketplace? If we would have went in with a diverse supplier as part of our sales, you know, efforts, like, I can't even imagine how much that would have changed our whole sales model and would have had tremendous growth for for both the companies that I previously worked for. Yeah. You got to be able to find the right teaming partners too. That's another like... Yeah. That's another whole topic is, you know, how to do that. Right. And, and, and um, because boy, you can't, you have to be careful, kind of like getting married. You have to be careful who you saddle yourself with because it can be, you know, it can bring you down too. So it is, there is that, that other side to it. Yeah. But that's where like development programs come into play, which again, a whole nother topic. Another whole topic. Right. And also you, and then you also acting as a true president of your corporation. So you can find and build those relationships. Right. Again, it comes back to what we talk about on the show all the time, building relationship, right? You don't just want to sign on the dotted line and not know the person, you know, or people that you are signing up to be partnered with. Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can get to to economic development and economic inclusion. And I think we're on the right path. But, you know, are there any other ways, I mean, in your mind that you could see that, you know, we may be missing the mark on or we could be doing more of to help just drive, you know, economic growth in our cities and in our states and in our region? Yeah, I think that's that's an absolutely fantastic question. And I think we as corporates need to sit back and, you know, we have, like you said, you you came from the risk side of the corporate world, right? And that is what a third party risk and know your third party. This is all stuff that's happened within the last five, six, seven years. So in the business continuum, it's relatively new, right? That all the all of this added third party risk that we have. I think as corporations, we have to get smarter about how we do risk, to be honest with you. Yeah. Right. Um, especially in the regulated industries, you know, mm. I'm thinking transportation, healthcare, uh, financial services, mm-hmm. and we leave a lot of good diverse suppliers kind of outside our organizations because we have such a low risk tolerance, right? Yeah. To onboarding people. Now, understand, I understand why. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here going, "What is that all about?" Right? But we have to also figure out. What makes sense to run, you know, the full gambit of risk on? And what are some things where it's like, "Eh, this is really a credit card purchase at the end of the day, right? And realize that those are some of the areas that we need to start looking at. Tailspin stuff, I think, would be amazing to start working on with small and diverse suppliers. I think we talked about this in our our end of the year Christmas episode, right? And that is we don't have to hit the home run and sign somebody to be our value-added retailer, reseller, right? <laughs> to to figure out that our 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 diverse programs is a success. But what about using the diverse caterer? What yeah. about using the diverse uh meeting planner? What about using the diverse a photographer, videographer, mm. right? There are all of these little kind of one-off ancillary services that we consume as corporates. I see very little, and, and I'm pointing the finger at myself, right? Very little spin data around these one-off ancillaries. And I think if we had a better program, and one of the things that I have actually kind of thrown around in conversation is, 
I had a great conversation with a young lady that sells wrapping paper. Mm. Now, I'm in financial services and I'm listening to this young lady. I'm like, I'm never buying wrapping paper from you. I don't don't. know why we were put in a matchmaker, but I'm going to sit here and listen to you. Sell me wrapping paper. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I I hung up with that. And for some reason, the voice in my head said, well, challenge yourself. Why can't you buy wrapping paper from her? Yeah, you're a bank. I get it. Why can't you buy wrapping paper from her? And I answered my voice back. This is going to sound creepy. And I was like, I'm a bank. I don't need wrapping paper. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I started thinking, I was like, but you know what? I buy wrapping paper. Yeah. I, Adam, buy wrapping paper. Right. Right. So what if we had company stores that sold wrapping paper? Right. I have met a lot of great diverse suppliers that sell resourced um, forks and, and eating utensils that also biodegrade. So sustainability. So we have to, as corporates, get a little more creative. Absolutely. On how we spend and not get so fast-tracked of, I'm in such and such an industry and I buy X, Y, and Z and I only buy X, Y, and Z because that's the only things I need to run my business. Okay, true. Yes, got it. 99% of what you need to do. But is there a way that we can sit there and go, you know, what if we had an online company store that sold wrapping paper? So the busy parent can sit there and go, I am not going to make it. Let me just order wrapping paper. It's like Amazon Prime for your institution. Yeah. When there's that. And then there's also like at the companies that I worked for previously, like around the holidays from Thanksgiving to the holidays, we sponsored a lot of different families, nonprofit organizations that we would send gifts to. And so you could provide the wrapping paper for community development teams inside the organizations. Like we are buying it from here for, you know, all of our charitable giving this year where the paper is in X office, we've already purchased it all. You know, I think those kind of things also move. That would be amazing. And then what about around holiday times? If you had a bazaar, a Christmas bazaar, a a holiday bazaar, right? And you invited all these diverse businesses to come in and sell their wares. Yes. It's impactful. That's impactful, right? And this is spent outside the normal grind of what's on our, you know, P&Ls. You know what? I just got a brilliant idea. Well, I don't want to say it's brilliant. You tell me what you think. I have to hear it first. Okay. But I think before the holidays, I know we did this last year, but we could Mm -hmm. really come up with like a top 20, you know, list of ways to use diverse suppliers that you, non-traditional ways that you might not have thought about. I love that. I think, I think on it, as we're recording this, we're going to challenge ourselves right now to have a show late November, early December, top 20 ways to use a diverse firm in a non-traditional way during the holidays. I love it. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts and be sure to check us out on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.